What do you see when you look at your city? What do you see when you look at your church? What do you see when you look at yourself? Do you see nothing but broken piles of junk and rubble? Because when God looks at you, he sees a future and a hope. The Bible tells the story of Nehemiah, a man whose heart broke when he saw the ruined walls of Jerusalem. But in that rubble, he also saw hope. He saw the tools to rebuild. It's time to see our city the way God sees it. It's time to see our churches the way God sees them. It's time to see ourselves the way God sees us. It's time to rebuild. Well, welcome. Good to see y'all. Everybody having a good day? Enjoying your weekend so far? Two people right here are. And uh, I'm really enjoying mine. That's all I'm going to say. Um, South Carolina play this weekend? I'm not sure. Okay, all right, all right. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us um, online. Uh, we, we're glad that you guys are along, those of you in the chapel and the warehouse also, and at our off-site campuses here in the southeast and uh, the Crossroads campuses in the Midwest and Denver, Vancouver. We're glad that you guys are along also. Uh, for those of you who are here in this house, um, our speaker for today is no stranger to you. Um, it's my brother, Jeff Surratt, who was with us for 14 years here at Seacoast. And uh, he and his wife, Sherry, very involved in ministry here. And uh, they currently live in Denver, Colorado. And she is the CEO of Mops International, Mothers of Preschoolers. And Jeff serves as the director of the Exponential Conference. And uh, they left their kids here, uh, which we're real happy about. They're on staff. And uh, their first granddaughter, uh, has her second birthday this weekend, and so Jeff is here, and I said, Jeff, if you're going to be in Charleston, you got to come talk to us. Here's what we're doing. We're doing a series on Nehemiah, and so he's going to pick up part four of Nehemiah, but what I want you to do is give a great big welcome to Jeff Surratt as he comes uh, to share with us. Will you do that? Thanks. great to be with you this weekend. What a blast to be here in South Carolina. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what it is, but there seems to be just a smile on the faces here. I can feel warmth coming from Columbia. Uh, uh, Greenville seems to be feeling pretty good. So there, it's a positive vibe weekend. So, so I'm excited. This is fun to be back. I also want to say uh, Crossroads is joining us, and they have a campus in Denver. I want to say hi to my peeps in Denver. So sad I missed the snow this week. Sherry looked at me and said, it's snowing in October, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Hey, what fun to be back here. We're celebrating, as Greg said, my, uh, my granddaughter's second birthday, and again, just to remind you, she's the most beautiful granddaughter on earth. Don't bring me your pictures. It's embarrassing for you, embarrassing for me as you, as you understand this. But life is, life is good right now. Uh, but, but in this period of life, I'm kind of realizing that I have passed the, the young years. I mean, really passed the young years. In fact, I'm realizing I'm too young or too old for a lot of things. I'm, I am too old for skinny jeans. You know what I'm saying? 
In fact, my daughter went out and picked out this shirt for me this weekend, and I know because I am wearing this shirt this weekend, it will be completely out of style for all 20-somethings from now on. I mean, guys are going, oh, I got to go throw my clothes away because old people are wearing them now, you know? I'm too old. I don't have a tattoo, and I'm too old to start now, you know, because that's just kind of desperate at this point, I'm just saying, and... You know, I could get an earring, but again, when guys my age start getting earrings and don't, no offense intended, but guys, people know you're just trying too hard. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, I'm past that, but I'm too young to start eating dinner at four o'clock in the afternoon, right? <laughs> I'm too young for an afternoon nap. I'm even too young for depends. And all those things are sort of attractive, to be honest with you, but I'm kind of that middle spot. I call myself middle-aged, but I'm not really unless I hit 100, you know. So I, but I, I say I'm in that middle spot. And I, I think a lot, especially when we come back here to Charleston and kind of reminisce about what was. And I, being here at Seacoast, remembering raised my kids here from the time they were about 9 and 7 and, or 9 and 5 and, and, and saw them grow up through the youth ministry here at Seacoast. And I just think about what was and reminisce about that. And then I look about what is right now, what my life is right now, and, and lots of it, uh, lots of my life is, is just, it's really cool. It's, it's at a place, you know, I've got, I mentioned I have a granddaughter, I have another granddaughter on the way, I'm, I'm married to my best friend, we love hanging out together, we got to spend two weeks in Europe together this summer, and, and just some of those things are good. But then I also look at where I'm at right now. And honestly, in a lot of ways, I thought maybe I'd be further down the road. I, I thought I'd be maybe more mature than I am. I thought maybe I'd know what I want to be when I grow up, you know. And, and I thought maybe some things would have happened that haven't happened so far. So I look back and think about what was. I look, I look now and, and look at what is, and it's, it's a mixed bag. But then I think about what could be. What could be next? Where, where might I go? Where, what might God want to accomplish through me in the, in the years that I have ahead, in the years that I have left? And I wonder if you guys do that. I want, do, do you think about that? Do you, do you get in places in your life, and you may not be in an in a age category where I am, but you, do you get in places in your life where, where you think about the past and kind of reminisce, and, and then you kind of look at where you're at now and what's going on around you, and then think about, I, I wonder what could be. I wonder what God could do. Those are powerful moments. Those are moments when you look at your marriage and you say, you know what, I wonder if it could become what I thought it would be. You look at your life and you're 20 or you're 30 or you're 40 or you're 50 and you realize that you're wasting the one and only life that God gave you, but you think, you know what, maybe I could change. Maybe it could be different. You look at your spiritual life. Maybe you have never become a committed Christ follower, or maybe you have never really made a, a, a major commitment to God. And, and, and you go, well, I wonder if I could. I wonder, I wonder what could be. You might even look around you and you see a, an injustice or something in this world that's just not right. And in rather in, instead of just saying, well, I, 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 I want to vote for the right guy or, or I want to sign the right petition, you say, I wonder if I could actually get involved. I wonder if I could make a difference. It's, it's those moments. And, and, and for a lot of us, we see that and, and we go, I'm going to do something. I'm going to change my marriage. I'm, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to change something around me. And we, and we start, which is the hardest part of any project, just getting started, getting it off the ground. But then we're into it for a few months or maybe even a few years and we look around and 
it's not getting to where we thought it would be. We're to that halfway point. That's what we want to talk about this weekend because we're in the book of Nehemiah. You guys are walking through the book chapter by chapter. Then we get to today, which is the halfway point of Nehemiah's big project. So before we dive into that, would you guys pray with me as we, as we get going today? Father, I just thank you. What a, wow, what an um, unbelievable privilege to speak to uh, Seacoast and our friends at Crossroads and just to be used by you. And Lord, I, I uh, wow, just so humbled by this experience. And Lord, I just pray for the next few moments that you will take your word and uh, use my words that uh, we can learn what you see in us and what you see next for us. Lord, we just commit a few minutes to you. And Lord, I, I ask that you'll speak through me in, in your name. Amen. So you know the Nehemiah story. Um, <clears throat> as you guys have been talking about it, Nehemiah had one of these what is, or what was, what is, what could be type moments. He, the what was for him is all of his life he had heard about Israel and he'd heard about Jerusalem. He had never been there, but that was his heritage. You see, uh, Israel had been conquered. Jerusalem had been had been conquered. Nehemiah was a was a uh, an exile from his homeland, a homeland he'd never seen. He was cupbearer to the king, and he I'm sure grew up on stories of what a great king David was and how David had conquered all of Israel's enemies. What an amazingly wise and rich King Solomon had been as Solomon expanded the territory and, and so much wealth had flowed into Israel. And he'd heard all these amazing stories of what used to be at Israel. And, and so then when his brothers came from Jerusalem, uh, Nehemiah was excited to hear about what is. What is Jerusalem like today? And they said, dude, it is not a good story. The temple that you've heard about that Solomon built, it's gone the unbelievable palace that we've read about that Solomon built, it's leveled. And the walls around Jerusalem have been destroyed. Now, if you've studied history at all, you know that ancient cities, the wall was the most important thing because that was their only defense. In fact, Sherry and I, when we were traveling this summer, we got the privilege to go to a city called uh, Dubrovnik, Croatia. And one of the unique things about Dubrovnik is the ancient wall still stands, the entire two-and-a-half-mile wall around the city. In fact, we walked on that wall all the way around, around the city. And because of that wall, that city has never been conquered by a foreign power. But in Jerusalem, when they were conquered, the wall was destroyed. So Nehemiah looks at what was, the, the, the grandeur of Israel, he looks at what is, which is the total destruction of Jerusalem, and he dreams of what could be, rebuilding the wall, which would be a, a, a sim, symbolic of God returning to the city of David and, and, and Israel returning to its, once, its place of, uh, of prominence. And so you have been studying this. If you've gone along, Nehemiah has gone, moved to Jerusalem. He's begun the project of building the wall. He's faced some opposition, but they've seen amazing progress. But they reached the halfway point. The wall is started, but not complete, and there's a lot of work ahead. So let's pick up the story, Nehemiah chapter 4. Let's read some of the verses at the beginning of that chapter. It says, now when Sanballat, now you guys remember Sanballat, you guys talked about him I think in chapter 2. Sanballat is a guy who lives near Jerusalem, but he's an enemy, he's a, he's a, uh, he's a, 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 a Samaritan. And the Jews are his sworn enemies. And Samballot likes Jerusalem having no wall because he and his raiders can come in and attack. They, they can do whatever they want. He is invested in the status quo. So now when Samballot heard that we were building the wall, 
He was angry angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite. Now, Tobiah, you, you guys remember him as well. Anytime you have a bully like Samballot, don't they always have like this wimpy, whiny little guy with them that just kind of follows them around? That's who Tobiah is. He, he just follows Samballot around going, yeah, yeah, what he said, what he said. So to, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside Samballot, and he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. And so here, basically what's going on here is Samballot and Tobiah are trash-talking the Jews. They're saying, hey, hey, look at this puny little wall you're building. It couldn't even stand up. So they're, they're threatening the Jews. Now if we skip down to verse 10, look what happens. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will never be able to rebuild the wall. See, they're buying what Samballot and Tobiah are selling. They've made great progress on the wall, but if you've ever done a construction project like this, a, a, re, a remodel, you know, halfway through, there's debris everywhere. It's hard to tell where you're going. It's dusty. It's dirty. And that's where, where they're at in this. And Samballot and Tobiah um, invested in the status quo. They want to see them fail. And it starts outside. Enemies from outside are saying, you guys can't do it. But then it moves inside, and the Jews inside Jerusalem are saying, they're right, we can't do it, we, we, can't, make, we can't make this. See, this is kind of a pattern that happens anytime we try to accomplish something new in life, whether it's rebuild a marriage, or whether it's a, a, a right a wrong, or improve our family, or make a new commitment to God. We kind of see this same pattern. We make the start, which is the really tough part. We, we begin to see a preferred future. We begin to move toward that preferred future, and then that's when we face the resistance. That's when the voices start attacking us. Some of those voices are from outside, like Sam Ballad and Tobiah. Maybe you have a, 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 an actual enemy, someone who actually is after you and wants to stop you from making a positive change. Maybe you have a boss, or maybe you have an, ex, an ex-spouse. Maybe you have some friends who, they like how your life is. They like the party lifestyle or whatever, wherever you've been living, and they don't want to see you change. And they begin telling you and attacking you and saying, you can't change. There, you've always been this way. And so you're trying to make this new start. You see this preferred future, but these outside voices come after you. Now, I'm going to make a confession today. Um, I don't deal personally in my life that much with, with outside people trying to stop me. I mean, I don't have enemies that are you know, standing in my way. I don't have people that don't want me to make it to where God wants me to be. My challenges are more internal. And here's the part where you're probably going to think, this, is, this guy's really weird, but I'm just going to tell you the truth, okay? I, have, I hear voices, okay? Anybody else hear voices? Don't raise your hand because you're naked. Yeah, somebody did, but I hear voices. I do. And in fact, these voices are so strong, I, they kind of have their own personality. That's right, I'm schizophrenic, right? So, so I just want to share this with you. And so one of the voices in my head that I hear, he's like an eighth grade bully, right? He's like the guy when I was in eighth grade that like would shove you down and take your lunch money from you. And so in my head, I hear this eighth grade bully saying, you're just a weakling. You're a wimp. 
You can't do this. You can't accomplish this. You can't even sit at the cool kids' lunch table. How could you possibly think you could hang with the people that could make these kind of changes? And I hear this voice saying, you're a loser. You're just a loser. People, if they really knew who you were, they wouldn't, they wouldn't listen to you. They wouldn't follow you. So, so I've got this eighth grade bully going on over here, right? And then when he quiets down, then I've got this other voice. You're looking at me like, oh boy. Well, I'm just telling you the truth. This is a real deal, okay? This other voice, I've kind of labeled him the old-time Pentecostal preacher voice, right? And what this voice is telling me, he's just calling me a sinner. He says, you're a sinner. You're a, you, if people knew the sin in your life, look at your past. Look at the stuff you did. Look at the thoughts you had. Look at the impurity in your past. You'll never be anything in the future. This, this, this Pentecostal preacher is saying, if people knew you now. I mean, you're standing, I hear him right now. You're standing on that platform. You're trying to tell people what a future could be. If they knew the real you, they would get up and walk out right now. Hang tight. Don't move yet, right? So, but that's, and, but here's, those two voices are going on. But then when they quiet down, the one, honestly, that really stops me a lot of times from making progress is the one I call the cruise director. The cruise director says, hey, life's meant to have to be fun. Why are you so worried about making change and doing all that? You deserve a break is what you deserve. In fact, why don't you just take a nap? That'd be awesome. <laughs> you need to have a little fun. When was the last time you went out and just partied and just had fun? So there's the internal voices going on. I know it's me and two crazy people that deal with this kind of stuff, but, but that's the voices we deal with. That's the voices that they're dealing with in, in Nehemiah. They're dealing with the external voices saying, you can't do it. They're dealing with the internal voices saying, they're right, we can't do it. So Nehemiah stands up and he says, guys, everybody come here. I got to talk to you. He makes one of the great speeches of all time. Really short, but great speech. Now, as we read this speech, any of you ever see Braveheart? Did you see the old movie Braveheart? Okay, a few of you have. So envision Mel Gibson in Braveheart. Remember, he's on the horse. He's got his face painted white and like blue. The whole Scottish army's up here. He's riding back and forth. Remember this? In front of the Scottish army. And at the end of it, he says, we'll never give up our freedom. Okay, get that picture in your mind. And that's kind of what Nehemiah is doing here. I don't know what color his face is painted. And he might be on a mule instead of a horse. But he's in front of all the Israelites, right? And here's what he says to him in Nehemiah 4.14. He says, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, this is key, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Nehemiah gives them three basic things to do when you want to see a new future. You want the future to be different than the past. He says, here's the three things you got to focus on. First of all, he said, do not be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. The voices are telling you stuff. Don't listen to them. Don't be afraid. See, the voices will tell you, you're in over your head. You know what you're trying to do? It's way over your ability. Voice will tell you, you're a failure. You'll never succeed. You have tried again and again, and you're just going to fail this time as well. The voice will say, you will always be alone. The way life is now is the way life will always be. You will always be depressed. You'll always be alone. You'll always be lonely. But you see, that's not your reality. Those are only words. What Nehemiah says is do 
not be afraid. Words do not define you. I want to share a couple of scriptures with you that I think are just really powerful. And, and what I want you to do with these scriptures, um, I don't know if any of you drink you know, hot tea, but when you drink hot tea, you, you, you boil some water, and then you take a tea bag, right? And you steep the tea bag. In other words, you don't just dip it in and take it out, but you take time. You wait for the tea to permeate the water and the water to permeate the tea. Well, these verses, I want to challenge you this week to steep in these verses, to let these verses get into your heart and your soul and listen to what God is saying directly to you. Let me read these verses. One, the first one is in Isaiah 41. God, God, this is God speaking. Fear not. It's a command. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. Fear not. Another great verse, Isaiah 54, says this. Again, God speaking. Fear not. You will no longer live in shame. Your past, the things you did, the things you feel guilty about, the things that the voice brings up again and again and again, God says, don't be afraid. You will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. Listen to this. There is no disgrace for you. No disgrace. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth. God's saying, don't be afraid. I got this one. You don't need to fear. You don't have to remember. You don't have to go back to the past. It doesn't matter that you failed. One of the most significant things, I think, is that when God made the decision to uh, invade history, to send his son Jesus, to change our future, how was Jesus announced? What was the first thing the angel said to announce the arrival of God on earth? Fear not. The angel said, you don't have to be afraid. He said, behold, I bring you, great, uh, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people. So don't be afraid. So Nehemiah first said, guys, I hear the voices. I know it's tough. We're halfway. We're not to where we want to be. We haven't rebuilt the wall yet, but don't be afraid. The second thing he said is, I love this. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Okay? But that's not all he said. He said, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. I mean, don't you love that? Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He's not just God. He is unbelievable. Now, Nehemiah is doing a project that's impossible without God. He's using a bunch of preachers and musicians and farmers to build a wall. These guys have never built anything in their life. They don't have any materials. They have very few resources. They're being attacked from the outside. And Nehemiah says, that's okay. It's okay. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. I want, any of you guys see the movie this summer, The Avengers? Anybody see The Avengers? Several of us did, okay? There's a scene in The Avengers I love, okay? It's one of these scenes that the bad guy, his name is Loki, and Loki, is he's destroying everything. He's destroying the earth. He's winning. There's no way. And one of the characters in The Avengers is the Incredible Hulk, right? I love The Incredible Hulk. And you get to a point in the movie, and it, it looks like there's no way The Avengers can win, and, and Loki faces The Incredible Hulk, and he, he faces him down. In fact, I tell you what, let's take a look. I just 
Take a look at this. I love this scene from the movie. creature wham 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 and i don't know if you caught it right at the end but as he's walking away as he's walking away the curl hawk says puny god <laughs> that's what nehemiah is saying he's saying remember god not loki incredible hulk god he's great and awesome he looks at sam ballot and tobiah and he says bam 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 we're done with you that's the kind of God we serve, right? Great and awesome. I love the story uh, in, the, in the Old Testament when Saul's son, Jonathan, the, the, the Israelites are in huge trouble, right? The Philistines are the most powerful army on earth. They have conquered Israel. They have allowed Israel to have two swords. I think so at night they can have little sword fights with each other, but that's all they have. The whole, that's their entire weaponry is two swords, the Philistines have all these weapons, swords. They're trained warriors. One night, Jonathan says to his armor bearer, he says, dude, let's grab both swords. Let's go up and visit the Philistines, see what's up. The armor bearer's like, yeah, that's a great plan. Let's go. And so they go, and then the armor bearer says, what are we going to do? Jonathan, Jonathan says, well, they're, they're up there at the top of that hill. We're going to yell up to them, and we're, if they tell us, come on up, then we're going to go up. And this is, the, this is the line, I love this. He says, and perhaps God will act on our behalf. Perhaps the God who's great and awesome, perhaps the, and I hope this is theologically okay, but in, perhaps the incredible Hulk God will act on our behalf. If not, hmm, we're toast, dude. The armor bearer says, hey, I'm with you heart and soul. Let's do this thing. So they call up to the Philistines. Hey, dudes, you want a piece of this? <laughs> the Philistines are like, uh, yeah. And they say exactly what David said. They say, come on up here. And they kill Philistines left and right and middle. And they, I mean, like their arms are falling off. They're so tired. Because of why? Because they remember God who's great and awesome. Whatever is happening in your life, whatever the preferred future is that doesn't even seem possible, Nehemiah would say to you, don't be afraid, but remember the God who's great and awesome. And perhaps he will act on your behalf. I love Romans chapter 8. This is just such a steep in verse. Take a look at this. Romans chapter 8, Paul says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of the great and awesome, incredible Hulk God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But listen to this. No, 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 no. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God who is great and awesome in Jesus Christ our Lord. This is good stuff, I'm telling you. It's not me, this is Nehemiah. This is Nehemiah, just this, I'm telling you. Don't be afraid. Remember your God who's great and awesome. And he tells him one more thing. He says, here's the deal. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. He says, don't be afraid. Remember God who's great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, your daughters, your sons, your homes, and your wives. He says, fight. He says, what are you fighting for? He said, basically what he did is he gave the Israelites a a clear mission. He said, we are on a mission from God. We are not just building a wall. We're not just setting up stones. We are fighting for our families. We are fighting for our existence. They knew what they were doing. They had a clear mission. What is your clear mission? What has God called you to do? What are you fighting for? Are you fighting for your marriage? Are you fighting for your family? Are you fighting for your neighbors? Are you fighting for the least and the lost and the, and, and, and the forgotten in this world? Are you fighting for something? Nehemiah would say to you, then fight. Fight for it. Clear mission. The next thing Nehemiah did is he gave him a specific role. After this verse, he gave every single person had a task. He said, everybody gets a sword because we're all fighting. I don't care what your job is. You have a sword. And he says, you're a bricklayer and you're fighting for bricks. You're a mortar guy and you're fighting for mortar. You're a priest. You got a sword. You're fighting. Everyone had a specific role. What is the specific role God has given you in the battle that you're fighting? Right now, you're Your battle may be for your family. You may be a stay-at-home mom, and your specific role is to fight for those little crumb crunchers. Then that's your role. You might be a husband, and your role might be to to fight for your family. You You may be a neighbor, and you're fighting for your neighbors. You may be a parent, and you're fighting for your kids. I don't know what your role is, but whatever it is, that's what you focus on. You focus on what did God call me to do in this fight. And then the final thing that Nehemiah said is he said, we're going to have community support. You see, individually, Israel could have been destroyed. They they were just kind of weak guys, not knowing what they're doing. But together, they had power. Look at Nehemiah 4.19. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, and listen to this, and our God will fight for us. Nehemiah said, individually we're weak, but together we cannot be conquered. They had community support. What's your community? Who are you rallying together? What could you accomplish if you and your friends decided to fight together? Um, anybody here ever heard of a lady named Naomi Mitchie? Anybody at all? Okay, I'm not surprised. She's not famous. Several years ago, in fact, many years ago, Naomi was in her early 40s. And she was a mom, a stay-at-home mom. And her kids were getting older, middle school, high school. She looked around, though, on her street. She lived on Delaney Street, in, in, in actually in Denver, where we live. And she saw young moms on her street. 
And she remembered what it was like to have little children in the house, how rough it was to have little six-month-old and two-year-old and three-year-old and how isolated that she felt at that time. And she looked at these young moms and she saw them alone and she saw that most of them were far from God. They weren't Christ followers and her heart broke for them. She thought, I've, I've got to do something to help young moms. I don't know what to do. And so she called a couple of her friends that were about her age. They also lived on Delaney Street. And she said, what can we do for the young moms? And one of them said, I don't know. What, what if we just invited them over to our house for coffee? Just invite two or three of them over. We'll, we'll love on them. We'll take care of their kids for a little while. We'll give them a break from the kids and just kind of love on them. So they did. They invited two or three moms over. The moms came and, you know, the moms were like, if you'll babysit the kids, we're there. You know, it's great. We can talk to adults. Yes, we're there. And so they said, would you guys like to come back again maybe next week? They said, sure. And so they started meeting two or three moms in their 40s and two or three young moms. And they started meeting and, and they just loved on these moms and eventually began to share Christ with, with them. And one of the moms committed her life to Christ. And, and then she told her husband what was going on. Her husband said, you seem to, something's different. And she said, well, here's what's going on. I, I've been meeting with, with our neighbor Naomi and some of her friends and and he committed his life to Christ. And, and then another woman committed her life to Christ. And then these young moms started inviting other moms that they knew to come over to, to Naomi's house. And Naomi and her friends, they dubbed themselves the Delaney Street Gang. And they started getting more and more moms. And pretty soon there were 10 moms and then 20 moms. And, and then finally 30 moms were meeting in Naomi's house. And one of her friends said, well, what if I went the next street over and I started another meeting for young moms and so she did she went to the next block over and one of the other friends said well I'll go the other way I'll go the next block over and I'll start one of these groups and then moms started going to those groups and started inviting more moms and it went another block and another block and pretty soon it spread across Denver and then it kind of jumped up to Colorado Springs and up, up to Fort Collins pretty soon it was across Colorado and then some mom in another state heard about it and another state and it grew and it grew and this little Delaney Street gang who just cared about young moms and, and just said, somebody's got to do something for these moms. I mean, somebody's got to help them out. Last year, 133,000 young moms attended Delaney Street gang groups. Somewhere along the way, they changed the name to Mothers of Preschoolers, Mops International. They hired my wife, Sherry, this year as the new CEO. 4,000 women. Step back a minute. 4,000 young moms last year made a profession of faith in Christ for the first time in their lives in these MOPS groups. How does that happen? How does that happen? How does someone like... Naomi Mitchie, who is just an unassuming, sweet little lady of 89 now, who just had no special education, no huge organizational skills. What she had is she had a couple of friends and a passion to see young moms come to know Jesus. And that grows to 133,000 women in 30 countries around the world. How does that happen? It happens when people like you and you and you and me see what was and what is and look to the future and say, God, I'm going to do whatever it is you set before me. I'm going to build a wall. I'm going to fight Philistines. I'm going to invite 
a mom into my house for coffee. I'm going to have lunch with a coworker. I'm going to do something to change my world. And it scares me to death. And everyone says I can't do it, especially the people inside my head. But I'm just going to go for it. Can I pray for you guys? Father, I pray for the Naomi Mitchies that are sitting in this audience. I pray for the women who want to see their block come to know you. I pray for the guys who see men that are lost and far from you and they just want to find a way to, to reach out. I pray for husbands whose marriages are not at all what they thought they would be. I pray for dads whose kids just are far from you. Lord, I pray that you will give us the, mm, the courage to make a difference. Lord, when we have fear, I pray that we will remember that you are with us. I pray that we will focus on the God that is great and awesome. And Lord, most of all, I pray that as we lean into you, that we will fight for our sons and our daughters and our brothers and our sisters, for our wives, for our husbands, for our homes, for our neighborhoods. Because, Lord, we know that it is not because of us, but because we serve a great and awesome God, that the future can be different than the past. Lord, we just commit it to you today. In your name, amen.